Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nault here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Today's episode is a little different. Actually, it's a lot different. Let me be honest. This is a far cry from my normal podcast about nutrition and fitness. Now, I've definitely done some Just Justin episodes and such in the past that have covered things like psychedelics, spirituality, mindset, personal development, et cetera, et cetera. But this episode actually goes above and beyond that and gets a little bit out there by some people's standards, but not by my standards. And I've really just reached a point with the pod with the podcast where I want to just share things that I find interesting. If I find it interesting, I want to talk about it and I want to share it with you in hopes that you will find it interesting as well. And this is a great example of that. So in recent years, I have had the pleasure of traveling to Norway several times because one of my best friends lives out there in Oslo. And I've been able to tour Viking museums and really just kind of fallen in love with Nordic culture and really Nordic and Viking mythology. And many of you listening to this will be familiar with very popular shows right now like The Last Kingdom and Vikings that are kind of glorifying really, I guess, the violent side of Viking culture and Viking mythology. And we talk about that a bit today. My guest today is an expert on all things Norse mythology, Nordic culture, Viking mythology. He's really an amazing human being. His name is Kadrick Olsen, and he's the author of a book called Runes for Transformation, which I read and really enjoyed. And the first time I heard Kadrick speak on another podcast, I knew I had to get him on my show. I actually have a trip planned to Norway in the summer of 2021 that is just going to be very spiritual, very deep with lots of rituals involved. And I just thought I need to get this guy on the show and I need to pick his brain. And this conversation did not disappoint. We covered a much wider range of topics than I thought we would. And we went much deeper than I thought we would. And we really touched on some significant issues with very important societal structures, I guess you could say, namely in the realm of relationships and some of the problems that Kadrick and I see in American culture with the masculine versus the feminine. So you're going to hear us talk a lot about the masculine and the feminine in this episode and ways that we think it could improve, particularly by implementing some of the things that existed in Norse culture, Viking culture, Viking mythology in ancient times. So that's a big part of this episode. We do touch on some things that might make you uncomfortable, like psychedelics, chaos, magic, apostasy, which is a term you'll learn a lot about in this episode, and some might actually even see as blasphemous, depending on their beliefs. And all of these interesting topics eventually get us to the point of talking about how to improve your life through intentional practice, through rituals, through exploration of spirituality, manifestation, affirmations, all of these things that you're probably quite familiar with in the traditional self-help way. A lot of entrepreneurs talk about these things. A lot of influencers online talk about these things. We take it much, much deeper into the spiritual side of things. But at its core, this is really just a message of setting intentions and making your behaviors align with those intentions to see the changes in your life that you want to see. It's really that simple. Some of these things seem out there to some people because the talk is so spiritual, but at the end of the day, it's really as simple as setting intentions and aligning your daily behaviors with those intentions to transform your life for the better, which is essentially the core message of Clovis from day one. I'm just trying to help you all transform your lives for the better to become the happiest, most fulfilled version of yourself. 
That's really what we're getting to in this episode is we're giving you some tools, tips, tricks, and some unusual things you may not have heard of to help you live your very best life. If you enjoy the episode and you want to connect with Kadrick, he's very easy to find because his name is Kadrick, and you can basically find him everywhere. That is K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H. So you can find him at kadrick.com. Again, that's K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H.com. Kadrick is going to be releasing some incredible courses, particularly around the idea of shadow work or apostasy. And as I mentioned earlier, he has a great book available on Amazon called Runes for Transformation, which you can check out. And you can find him on Instagram at Kadrick underscore Olson, last name spelled O-L-S-E-N. So hit up Kadrick on Instagram and check out Kadrick.com and let him know that you enjoyed the podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. I know that leaving reviews can be quite tricky, so I've spelled it out for you. Just visit ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash Clovis for step-by-step instructions on how to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews are what keeps this podcast going. Each and every review counts. It really, really helps, and it truly means the world to me. Thank you so much for your support. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Clovis. You can check out all of my physical products, including my Clovis Complete Daily Superfood Powder and my Essential Electrolytes Hydration Drink Mix at IamClovis.com. Use promo code PERFECTPODCAST at checkout, all one word, PERFECTPODCAST, and I will give you 20% off your first purchase. And now, on to the episode. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin Nault here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. I am crazy excited for today's episode because it's actually outside of my wheelhouse completely. I'm bringing in an expert who knows way more than I do. Usually, I'm deep into nutrition and fitness, as you guys know, and I'm usually speaking off the top of my head. I'm going to have a lot of notes on this one. So basically, what I'm doing is bringing in a guest who explores things that I like to explore in my personal time, and I thought I would share that with the group. So we have a real expert here. This is Kadrick Olson. And we're going to dig into all things Norse mythology, Viking mythology, and we're just going to talk about runes and life transformation and manifestation and all the things that you can do to explore different aspects of spirituality and maybe some esoteric things you're not familiar with that can really have serious benefits and positive impact in your life. So, Kadrick, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. I'm psyched to be here. This is going to be great. Oh, I can't wait, dude. So, I've been thinking about what I want to do here, like the best way to do this. And I'm thinking about the best way to bring value to my audience. And I think the way to do that is to help people see that even without these deeper levels of spirituality and mysticism and esoteric things, there are some core principles that we can grab onto that can really create transformation. And you have a book called Runes for Transformation, which is great. I picked that up. And we can talk about the different ways they can do this without necessarily being like, hey, I'm now a deeply spiritual person. So we're going to give them just really tactile, like tactile, tangible advice for making changes. So... From what I've heard from you, you're very, very similar to me in terms of like, you actually kind of enjoy and embrace the skepticism of the thing. And I did as well. I spent a lot of years just like trying to disprove my own skepticism is really how I get to things. And before we started recording, we talked about this concept of wisdom through experience. So that's really one of what I want to do is, is kind of give them a way to explore these things for themselves in the pursuit of wisdom through experience. And we'll get to the point where we talk about your childhood experiences and whisperers and all these things. But I really want to start 
with something people can grab onto. And this is the popularity of Vikings right now. We have the Vikings TV show. We have a kingdom TV show. So people are really seeing these depictions of Vikings and that kind of mythology. So I want to just dig into where that's correct, where it's incorrect. And let's just talk a little bit about your experience exploring these cultures. Absolutely. And, and you're right. These TV shows are great for entertainment value. They have this great visual appeal to it. They get the stories told in such a dramatic, wonderful way that it's great to follow along. But if you've looked into the history and you know the history of it, sometimes it's a head shaker. You know, one of the things that still throws me off when I watch Vikings is these are people who live in the extreme north. It gets very cold, but yet they're shaving their heads. <laughs> you would never do that. You know, you want to keep your head covered. You want to stay warm. You don't want to run around with weird weird hairstyles like that, just things like that. Or, you know, uh, summertime comes around and then the show, all the men go a Viking. They leave their village and there's not really anybody there. Well, one of the things that's not really understood is you're going to need people chopping wood all summer long, building up all of your supplies. So when winter hits and you have no way of getting out of the house, everything is set and ready to go. And if you have every able-bodied person leaving town, for the summer, winter comes and it's like, great, I've got the stash of silver and gold, but whoopee, I have no firewood to keep me warm and we're all going to die of cold here. Yeah. So it's really, some of the shows miss that one. So the, the Vikings show is, it's fun, it's entertaining, but the historical value is not quite there. One that does hit a little bit better for historical value is The, the Last Kingdom. Okay. It's that overlap in England where the Norse, via the Danes come in and start settling and then the British people are trying to fight back and there's this clash between the two sides. They get it a little bit better, but they're still treating the Norse as these brutish, awful, horrible people, which in some cases they were. But in a lot of times, they like to really wear nice silk clothes. They would have glass beads. They were, they've been accused of combing their hair and bathing regularly to <laughs> steal women away from the British people. Yeah. You know, so the, the image that we have today of these dirty, grubby warriors doesn't quite fit. You know, they were, they held themselves in a higher level of esteem and they really looked like dandies for want of a better word. They were really dressed up in finery, but they could be brutal at the same time if they needed to be, but yeah. everyone was. Yeah. I'd also heard you explain that they, they were actually quite like collaborative in some ways like they they liked to trade and make deals and things like that rather than just raid 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 absolutely in fact it makes no sense to raid because you're going to have all of the people on all of these other countries now opposed to you rather if you can set up collaborative cooperative environments you're going to do so much better and there is archaeological evidence stretching all the way from like sweden to the volga river in russia where the norse people had trade routes with people along the way and they connected with people of many different cultures to learn different things, and they bring artifacts back home. But all the way the mention throughout the people who lived through there did not say that these were brutal, horrible, awful people destroying things. They said, yeah, there were these big giants that came in, and sure, they could be rough and tumble, but they always, we always got along well, basically. Mm. We connected to, together. So it was, yeah, the, the modern stories aren't quite accurate on that. Sure. What's interesting, too, that I, that I really want to talk about is that I know part of that brutish savage nature is really that that kind of survived in christian literature where they were just described detailed in this way as as savages and you'll see that in the shows where the christian characters are like these savages these savages and it's funny because what i really want to get into with you is like the patriarchy in america like western religion and all these things and how just restrictive they are of if it's not our way if it's not perfect 
then it has to be bad or sacrilege or blasphemy or something like that. And the extent to which I see that permeate today is just staggering, whether it's people with you know, sexual hangups because they were raised by Christian parents or like we talked about, just people that are really terrified of things like plant medicines or even exploring different, like, like wait a minute, if I, if I go do runes that Kedrick told me about, I'm gonna make God mad or I'm gonna be punished in some way. So I, I think there's a lot of that too, where there's just this, this idea that anything beyond what we're familiar with in Western culture is somehow bad or savage. And I think that's where a lot of that misconception comes from, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, you're absolutely right. The more restrictive and prohibitive a system is, be it religious, political, social, the more you're going to have shadow behaviors mm. where people are just flat out rebelling against it and say, screw you, I'm going to do this one. Or if they do engage with it, they now have these feelings of guilt and self-deprivation, deprecation, and all of these self-destructive thoughts because they were engaging in these sinful activities. Mm. Well, in the Norse time, sure, there were some, but not really. They were, you know, there were cases of polyamory, you know, all over the place. They were engaged in multiple different type of love affairs, and it was when Christianity came in that it was relegated to just one man, one woman, which doesn't really make sense anyway. Uh, they were more open on a lot of different social practices. Uh, none of these are coming right to mind at the top of my head right now. But, you know, engaging in plant medicines, sure. Christianity comes in, we're going to clamp that down. Pagan practices, come in. that's one of the ways that we know, actually, by the way, what some of the old pagan practices were when Christianity came in and said you're no longer allowed to eat horse meat, for example. Mm. You're no longer allowed to do this. You're no longer allowed to do that. That's how we know that that was the original pagan practices because now it's forbidden to do. Sure, sure. This is important, man. I think this is the core of what I really want to talk about here because there are so many people that are trapped in these social paradigms that they don't understand myself included. I have explored some things in my life recently, some of which we talked about off camera that um, have been really challenging. And I'm finding myself being triggered in these moments. And I'm saying, am I upset right now? Like the thing that I'm upset by now that's right now that's triggering me, is it my belief or is it a belief that was instilled in me through thousands of years and just this social program? And like I said, someone in their 20s who has sex outside of marriage and they think they're going to hell because they remember being eight and being told they were going to hell, you know? So I want to dig into this because of the hands down most valuable aspect of this conversation with you and I right now that I think most people are going to get value from is the masculine feminine. I really want to dig into the masculine feminine. So if we take a look at particularly the stark differences between masculine feminine in modern Western culture versus ancient cultures. So we can get into like sexual repression, equality, all those things. I want to talk about that mm -hmm. because I see real problems with that here in America today. And I think a big part of that is Really, this is the only time, this modern Western society is the only culture and society that we know of that doesn't deeply celebrate the feminine for what the feminine is. Not the feminine as it's compared to the masculine. It's the feminine for exactly what it is. And I think this is gonna be really, really valuable. So before we dig into the spiritual side of things, I guess this is somewhat spiritual, but in the masculine feminine, I wanna talk about Norse and Viking mythology and gods and goddesses. Because again, if we look at the lens of Western culture, which is basically built on the patriarchy, and Christianity, then there are really no female deities like whatsoever. We have the Mother Mary, mm -hmm, and even mm -hmm. the Mother Mary is sexually repressed because she's so wonderful because she's a virgin. She's a virgin <laughs> mother, that's the thing. She's, she's this beautiful person because she's a, a virgin mother. And then the complete opposite is we have Norse mythology, which I, am, I cannot wait for this portion of this. I like have goosebumps, I love it so much. <laughs> but basically an equal number of gods and goddesses, mm -hmm. correct? 
Correct. Yeah. The lore actually incorrectly a couple of times when we can actually enumerate properly, but the lore incorrectly states that there are 12 Aesir, 12 gods, and 12 Asinir, 12 goddesses, which is beautiful because there are some language connections with the Old Norse language to Sanskrit languages. And so there is some spirituality connecting, such as the rebellious deities of the Vedic tradition, the Asuras, have the same root word as the Aesir, as the Norse deities. They're the same group of folks. Mm. And in the Vedic tradition, we know, for example, that Shiva is powerless without Shakti. He needs his feminine consort with him because she is the source of power. She's that resource. He may be that spark of initiation, but it is that connection that they can make together that makes them so powerful. Mm. The same way in the Norse tradition, Odin, sure, he's the great Norse god of everything. You know, He's the high ruler of everything that's out there. And he's considered to be the wisest, the strongest, whatever. But his wife, Frigg, is the one that can outmatch him for everything. Yeah. You know, she's considered to be the ruler of the home and the ruler of the family. But in the Norse tradition, the wife owned the house. Mm. The wife owned the property. The wife owned the money for the house and all of those resources. And when a guest came over to the house... It was her choice whether or not they got to eat and drink, mm. not the man's. And her serving a guest was not considered a subservient position. That was her saying, these are my resources and you're welcome in this home. And I have that authority to welcome you into this home. And so that is how we look at Frigga. She has that authority. Are you worthy to receive these divine gifts? Are you worthy of having that spiritual service going that Odin, fine, could deliver, but without her blessing, you're not going to get it. Yeah, I love that. And, and here we are living in this just kind of the breadwinner, that term, like the breadwinner dominates. That's it. It's like if you're bringing home the bacon, like it's your household, you are the king of the castle and everybody is subservient to you. And it's, that's the problem is it's this constant desire for domination one way or the other. It's not the dance, like the synergistic dance. And the reason why it's so valuable to dig into this, this mythology and these gods and everything is because of the way that you talk about it that I love, where you're basically saying these are essentially humans with superpowers. It's almost like X-Men, right? It's like that if you look at them like that, then you can take that archetype and bring it into your life, which yes. is a lot of what you teach. Exactly. The archetype is the right way to look at it. Like if we look at Freya and Freya, the brother and sister, they are the masculine and feminine sexual fertile forces. Mm. And so we look at Frere for his virility, his potency, but not only does he have that masculine potency to him, but he's good to call upon for peace and friendship. Mm. Interestingly enough, he's not a warfare type wow. of God. He's peace, friendship, abundance, and masculine fertility. And in the rune system, he is represented by the rune Ingus, which is a seed. It is that spark of potential that capability of doing something, which of course is powerless without the fertile soil. Mm. And that fertile soil is where we find his sister, because this is old pagan tradition, right? We'll go back to archetypes. Yeah. We have to separate our modern interpretation of brother and sister getting together, because this isn't what this is about. These are deities. These are natural forces. But his sure, sister, sure. Freya, is the feminine fertile forces. Not only is she the vast resources, the fertile soil, she's the birch tree, the, the fertility, the feminine fertility, the, the womb that can give birth to children. And she's also the source of magic, 
such as Sather magic, which is like a shamanic trance and prophecy kind of work. Mm. Together, they have to work, yeah. as Yoda would say. They have to work together. Otherwise, they're powerless. You can have the fertile soil, great, but it's not going to grow without some sort of a seed planted in it. And that seed is useless without the fertile soil. They need one and each other. And that same way in our world, like you were mentioning, that dance. Yeah. You have to work cooperatively with the sacred masculine, the sacred feminine, instead of the masculine dominating and saying, well, I'm big and I'm strong and I'm tough, which, by the way, is weakness. 100%. Where a strong man will go, hey, I have these capabilities, but I have these failings too. Can we work together? And that's a great way to build that trust with a feminine is to be open to your own vulnerability mm-hmm. as a sacred masculine and say, God, I suck at these things. I'm not so good at this and I really could work on this. Can you help me with that? And to be open and in a weird way, feminine yeah. through that vulnerability so that you have that connection with a divine feminine so that she could help be that spark to initiate inside you that change. And then you have that dance back and forth of masculine, feminine together. Oh, dude, I'm so glad. We're, like, I'm so happy we're doing this conversation. Like, I'm in a relationship right now where, where for the first time I grew up in New England, rough and tumble, boxer, MMA, powerlifter, all the things, right? And I'm in a relationship now where like for the first time ever, I feel like I have a place that's safe enough for me to open into that vulnerability and really share in that way. And it took me a lot of work to get here at 34 years old, you know? And it's this thing where even still today, like I openly share my emotions with her. I openly tell her when I'm feeling insecure, when I'm feeling something that has me feeling down. And every time my little lizard brain is like, don't do this, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. It's like literally a life or death situation where I'm like, for some reason, we have this thing where emotions are not masculine at all. They're, in Western culture, I'm saying plenty of other cultures get this right, like Norse culture, you know? So I look at that of just like, we have our whole lives. It's like when you're five years old, it's like big boys don't cry. Don't be a sissy, this kind of thing. You got you to fight in the schoolyard and this kind of stuff. And, but even with women too, like if we look at the fact that the highest consumers of antidepressants in the world are upper middle class, middle-aged housewives in the suburbs. You know, so it's this constant suppress, 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 suppress emotions, feeling emotions is bad. And then what you end up with is you have these men that can't express emotions. They can't feel emotions. We have no rights of passage. I'd love to talk to you about rights of passage as well, but we have no rights of passage, no, no emotional intelligence. So we have this fragile masculine and the fragile masculine is just, it's awful. There's, I, I do a lot of coaching with people and stuff. And I love that you talked about, um, the brother, what's the brother's name again? The, of the two, the brother and sister. The oh, Frere. Yeah. So you're explaining that like, he's also like of friendship and like, like that kind of thing. Like it's a very kind, gentle thing. So I've coached a lot of men in my life because of the way my past was. My past went away. That was very toxic masculine. So I have a lot of experience with that. And I was coaching someone, actually a family member recently, a young, young male in his twenties and just kind of like booze and bar fights and hooking up culture, you know, he's kind of in that thing. And he was really coming at me in a way that's like, okay, like he's, it's just, it was really aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, man, I'm going to put this to you in a way that might make sense to you. And it might make sense to the listeners. I said, the difference between you and I is I can kill a man with my bare hands and I can ball my eyes out crying on my best guy friend's shoulder when I'm feeling vulnerable and sad. You can do neither one of those. And you try really hard to convince people that you can do one of them. So you're stuck in this place where really both sides of that pendulum are not working inside this masculine man and he knows it. And I think that's the thing is, is the fragile ego of man and masculine in America, they know it. They know that they don't have that power. They want to be like Ragnar and Vikings and they want to be able to fight and do this, but like they can't, they don't have the skills to do that. So they feel bad about themselves 
but they also don't want to feel emotions and they don't want to admit they feel bad about themselves. So you're stuck in this purgatory where you have this fragile male ego and then the women are coming in and they're really taking over this role where like they now have to take care of the household and pay all the bills and make sure things are together. And it's like, they can't, there's no safety in that form of masculine. But what ends up happening is now the, the feminine female must compensate with masculine. And then you have this guy with his toxic masculinity. And we have these households where every day there is a cerebral logical battle that is masculine hitting masculine and there's no synergistic dance. And that's, I'd love to get, I'm talking a lot. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. I do see exactly what you were saying in the Norse community. There are the role play Norse warriors. I have my ax and I smash them in the head and I blood, <laughs> but they have zero training, no martial arts training, no military right. training, nothing. Then I have worked with guys who have been in the military, who have been overseas. They come back and they're quiet. They're mm. calm. And that tells me usually the most dangerous man in the room is the guy who doesn't seem like it because they've got nothing to prove. They don't have to prove anything to anyone. They've got nothing to, to show off about. They're just like, I know I can do this, but I don't need to. I can, I'm going to go do my efforts over here. I'm going to expend my energy with these other things. And then if this immature warrior gets out of line and needs a little push back, that's when the, the mature warrior steps up and says, stop, cut it out. And it is overcompensation that whole time. That person is going, I'm big, strong, I'm tough, is hiding that vulnerability that they're afraid themselves of tapping into mm. and touching. And it does. It feeds everywhere because when they're at home, they'll have their breakdown. They're incapable of doing what they need to do. And the women will be like, okay, I need to step up and take care of this stuff because it's not getting taken care of because you're having your emotional breakdown that you don't know how to deal with. You're taking it out on me as the woman because you think I'm the problem for this one. When it's like really take a moment to step inside yourself, look at yourself, address your own vulnerability with yourself if you can, because mm. sometimes it's hard for us to take a look. And when I work with men to define the mature warrior, one of the ways I have to think about a warrior is between battles, the mature warrior sits and looks over his armor and looks for any holes in the armor, any chinks in the armor, any breaks, and he spends the time to repair it. Mm. He looks over his weapons to see if there are any missing, some divots, some really ch chunks taken out of the metal so he can sharpen the axe, he can sharpen his blade. He works on his discipline and his training when he's got his downtime. So he's always, always, always working on himself. Mm. That's what the mature warrior does. And if he knows that he needs to up his game in a certain area, He'll reach out to somebody that has that training and that expertise and say, hey, can you teach me this? Because I don't know how to do that one. If he can't fix his armor, he'll go to the armor and say, hey, this is broken. Can you help me do this one? Where we as the modern man, we think, well, I'm the big tough warrior. I can do it all myself. And then they're failing. And then they blame themselves, but they're not going to express it to, that they're blaming themselves. They're going to say, well, you did this. You did that. You messed that up. You screwed me over with this one instead of, okay, I need to go build my skills. I need to work on my discipline and my training mm. where the mature warrior stops and says, I suck at this thing and that's okay. Yeah. Who do I find that doesn't suck at this can help me not suck anymore? Yeah. That's opening to the vulnerability and that's where we find our strength through that vulnerability inside of saying, this is broken, help me fix it. I love that. Yeah, it's, and again, it's, it's vulnerable. That's why it's, it's tricky. It's vulnerable to be the place to ask for help. And we get in a situation where I feel like men are so 
stuck on winning. Again, even in relationships, like it's like these, when you're trying to win a debate rather than have a conversation and hear someone's side of things, like you're both destined to fail there. So these men are so stuck on winning. And, and as I got to higher levels of jujitsu, martial arts, these things, we have a saying that you either in, in rolling in jujitsu, you either win or you learn, you never lose. And that's it. And these guys, there's such a fear of losing or being shown up where it's like, I want to get tapped out by the black belt because I want to be a black belt someday. I'm like, Hey, how did that happen? Let's go over this, you know? And like you said too, the, the guys that come home from, from overseas and things like that, these are the situations where I was watching your body language as you're detailing these men and how they act. Well, I, well it's, it's very loud. It's very like, yep. it's very brash and very like flailing arms and very loud. And the same thing, once I had, you know, deeper levels of, of combat training, people that don't understand this world would just say, well, you're at a bar or something like, how do you, how do you know when someone like really wants to fight? Like in their eyes. And you said this on a podcast, you said there are certain men that can diffuse a situation just with their eyes. And you can tell with the eyes, it, when the guy has his arms out and he's puffing his chest and he's yelling and he's like peacocking or like acting like a big scary gorilla, this is the most insecure person in the room. That's right. You know, but that's, it's strange because they've been taught from movies or I don't really know, but it's like, that's the way to do it. And that's, they're hiding. Like men are so busy hiding and that's not a judgment on them. I, I want to help them bring that out into the light and get better. That's right. It's not their fault that they're behaving that exactly. way. They were trained to behave that way by their father, their grandfather, by their community that they grew up in. They think that's what it means to be a man. And of course, I'm going to say they think that way. They know that is what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. That's how the only way men are supposed to that's act. That's the belief system. Exactly. It's not just a thought. It's a belief. Exactly. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying. When we grow up in these certain religious systems, when we grow up in these certain belief systems, I think one of the things that I am failing at, and a lot of us in the Norse pagan community and other pagan communities are failing at, is teaching something called apostasy. Apostasy is taking a look at your birth religion, your birth beliefs, and what you knew to be absolutely true, and then separating yourself from that one. Some people say, well, this means you've got to deny God to be a pagan. I'm like, no, that doesn't mean that one. It means that if you know for a fact that men have to be big, strong, and dominating the whole, whole situation that they're in, apostasy means, well, I'm going to give a chance, and I'm going to be the vulnerable guy and not try to be in control and just let things flow because flow is feminine and just let the situation flow and go along with it and see how that happens. And that takes a huge step because you think you've got to be there. You've got to be the big, strong one instead of just like hanging back, letting it flow. Well, that's apostasy that is really challenging what you know to be true by doing the opposite of it to see what comes out of it. And if I'm not going to use this example, but if you do that challenge, you're going to find that nothing bad happens to you. Mm. Then that means you now have that ability to challenge what you thought you knew to be true because you now have contradictory information by doing the opposite of what you know was the way things were. So now you have wide open vulnerability going, crap, I don't know anything anymore. Mm -hmm. That means I got to check in and which is why people don't do it because it destroys their belief system. Then where do you go? Well, that's one of the things that we're failing. Where do we go with that? Yeah. Here are the roads we go to because our comfort levels, I hate saying this, but our comfort level in the society is comes from having fewer choices. Yeah. If we can only choose between one, two or three things, that's so comfortable. Right. And so it's, here's my big and tall, I'm big, strong, tough, that's what I have, or weak and vulnerable, I don't want that. Those are the only choices I have. Exactly. It's like, stop, that's not all that's out there. Yeah. Test it, 
go over the flow sometimes instead of trying to be in control. And then you'll realize you aren't limited anymore. You now get to define that road open. Yes, that's scary, but that's where your bravery comes in. Yeah. And the only difference between fear and excitement is a breath. Yeah. So when you have that open road now because you're flowing and everything is now changed, take a breath and take a step and create that road step by step as you're walking along it. And that will not only eliminate your fear, but that will actually make you stronger yeah. in the right way. Yeah. Talk about courage, right? Like exactly. drinking 12 Miller Lights and starting a fight with a random guy at a bar. This is not courage. You know, men are doing that because we don't have rites of passage and they're kind of subconsciously searching for that, in my opinion. But yeah, talk about courage. It's the same way I was saying with my partner now. Every time I share vulnerably, my little lizard brain is saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. I never die. And the relationship gets stronger every single time. And what's interesting is the word that you used, I've actually never heard before, but I've always referred to that or, or heard the term shadow work mm -hmm. of like doing the exact opposite, you know, and that's really, really powerful stuff. And what was the word you used again? Apostasy. Apostasy. I've never heard that. That's but really it, cool. It comes from the religious world. An apostate is somebody who maybe they grew up Catholic and then at some point in their life saying, no, this isn't my path for me. I'm leaving it. I denying that this religion is mine anymore. They're an apostate. They have committed an act of apostasy Got it. by leaving their old religion. But we can apply it to every belief pattern that yeah. we have. Yeah, that's great. I want to dig in that a little bit deeper with you because I want to talk to you about chaos magic. But uh, <laughs> this, uh, the masculine feminine thing, I, I want people to hear this, uh, particularly women. Actually, most of my audience is female, believe it or not. So mm -hmm. um, this is going to be really cool. Like the, the masculine feminine thing and these belief systems that we have, what ended up happening in America, we look at this like the very liberal side of like feminism and equality and all these things like hearts absolutely in the right place. I understand. It's great. But when you have this idea of gender equality in a culture that is full blown built on a patriarchy, like we talked about, mm -hmm. Mother Mary had to be a virgin to be like, you know, praised the way that she was, right? Had to be immaculate conception because anything else would be dirty. So when it's built on the patriarchy, what you end up with is you say, we want equality. So men have fraternities. I'm speaking as a female now. Men have fraternities. We want sororities. Men play football. So you have a petition in a small town where a girl in high school wants to play on the boys' team. Or we saw this recently in the most recent Super Bowl game. They were celebrating the fact that it was the first female referee to ever referee a Super Bowl game. And I'm saying, I get this. I get where the heart is, but it's just constantly suppressing the divine feminine. It's all you are doing in, in this search for equality is constantly comparing the feminine how well can the feminine do the masculine rather than celebrating the feminine? And some analogies I can use here is if we go back to super stereotypical Viking mythology, conquer, right? You have male Viking warriors. They can roll into a town and they can ransack it and completely destroy it and take everything they want. They can have all the women, they can have all the possessions, burn the city to the ground. They can do that. Then you have these, these women that you've, I've heard you talk about before, like the vulva or the witches. Mm -hmm. The witches could roll through that same town and just because of the tremendous respect and fear of their divine feminine, these women will kneel, these people in the city will kneel and hand these women whatever they want. No violence, no death, no nothing. It's the same end result. So the power is equal. It's an equal power manifesting in a different way. And that's the beauty. This is what I want people to see in the feminine masculine. Instead of just trying to make them one and the same, you need to celebrate the two. Or if, if I'm in a, in a castle and I'm a king and I have my queen and someone has wronged my queen and the queen decides that person needs to be put to death, why would the queen go kill that person with their bare hands when I can do it? Like they're feminine. I'm in love with them. I adore them. I will do this for them. That's part of their beauty of their feminine is that I'm in this thing with them. Or 
they slip in at night when no one's looking and they drop some poison in their wine and nobody knows what happened. What's the end result? A dead enemy. But it's this different, beautiful flow. And like, these are very violent analogies I'm using because people are familiar with this and Viking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones and all this stuff. But that's really the way that I see it is both of them are equally as powerful, equally as beautiful, equally as vicious, whatever you want to say, they're equal. They're just different manifestations. In fact, different manifestations. One of the ways I would maybe even suggest looking at it is the whole spectrum rather than polarities. Mm, And of course, we could use the pendulum, right? Yes. You have the far extreme masculine, the far extreme feminine. And I will flat out say there is toxic masculinity, there is toxic femininity, and there are toxic behaviors attributed to every part of the spectrum in between. And sure, there are some men that fit to the far masculine extreme and some women that fit into the far feminine. But if we go back to the Norse example, sure, the far extreme masculine would be the Viking raiders that go in and just conquer, destroy, and then they leave with whatever they want. But more often than not, it was somebody who came into town with goods to trade that could share information. Vikings loved lineage. They loved, I'm not going to say Vikings, I'm sorry, the Norse men loved poetry. They loved stories. And if they can connect with other people to share stories and learn lineages, that was a huge thing to them. And if they could go get better steel, they could go get better materials, better, better goods to bring home, that made them rich. Mm. Now, one of the main points of going on raiding and trading was to get enough money to buy a farm to settle and have a farm. So that was the pinnacle of community yeah. was the farmer. And so that is still somewhere in that spectrum. But in the feminine, sure, there's taking care of the home, the family, and just spinning, spinning cotton, spinning flax. I'm not cotton, but wood, wool and flax, spinning the goods. We can keep coming. There are landowners where she not only had the home, but she had several other properties. She was a slave owner. Slaves are different in that time period. Mm-hmm. They weren't like we have today, but they were treated much better. There's Un the deep-minded who freed her slaves and gave them property. They could run uh, court cases, legal battles. And then even if we come further along the spectrum, there were feminine warriors. Mm. They would go into battle. There is a grave find that shows that there was a woman, buried woman, who had all of the marks of her bones showing active training for combat and being an act of war and buried with her weapons. But this was definitely a woman's grave. And we can keep coming further. There were women berserks, the women berserkers, yeah. who would be right there with the men berserkers in battle. So we have actually defined in the Norse world a whole spectrum of masculinity and femininity. And then it gets even weirder. In old, old, old Norse carvings, there are, in the rune carvings, men who would brag about being ergi. It's an old Norse word that tends to be open and receptive. And an ergi man was very magical, very open and receptive to receiving magic, meaning he could be the embodiment of a deity because he could come in. As Old Norse gave way to other Norse languages and more, more modern languages, ergi actually is a derogatory term for homosexuality. Wow, okay. And so at one point they were bragging about it, and then it became a scathing term, mm. just like Viking at one point meant to be uh, like a sailor and became eventually a, a thug, a pirate, and became mm. a derogatory term before it became what it is today. So we have all across the spectrum. Sather is a form of magic that is shamanic and trait, taught by women. And Freya taught it to Odin, who was teased for being feminine because he was practicing a womanly art. 
So the Norse gives us this huge spectrum of masculine and feminine that we can just find our own comfortable place in yeah. and be who we are at the authentic level. I love that, man. It's unbelievable. And it, it resonates with me really hard because um, I shared with you that I was a professional musician for my mm -hmm. whole life, right? But I started playing piano when I was eight. And being an eight-year-old, and I was like playing Billy Joel songs, and I hid this from all my friends. Like, because when I was playing piano at eight in a small town in New England, that was gay. It would literally get called gay. Like, well, you're playing piano. That's gay. And I don't know why that was a thing, I'd, but, but I literally just hid it. And then at 17 years old, I played this, this big talent show in my high school and I was on the news and in newspapers and then I got gigs. Then I'm 25 years old. I got a TV show and everybody thinks I'm like super masculine, but why? Because now as this musician that's up on stage, I get to go on stage and do my performance and do my thing. And then I get to conquer women sexually. It's the rock star thing. Mm -hmm, so it becomes mm -hmm. this weird flip where it's really, it's like this thing of like you, it, it, Actually, music and art and all these things are celebrated in a very serious way in America, and they should be. But it's also, I had to hide that person, that part of my personality, a huge part of my life that I was doing eight hours a day. I had to hide that out of fear of judgment or ridicule. And then we have this about face. So I, I just really love this conversation right now because we're kind of just breaking down walls in these belief systems. And I hope that there's people listening right now just kind of thinking like, where am I stuck? You know, what am I not willing to to um, apostate, is that what the word? Mm -hmm. Apostasy, right? Apostasy and apostasy. apostasy. Yeah, like what am I not willing to, to do this practice of apostasy in? And I think it's really worthwhile in, in anything. And that brings me to this concept of chaos magic. So I, I've stumbled into chaos magic recently and love it. It's fantastic. And, and one of like the, the main core concepts that really resonated with me was this idea of, it would really kind of be like apostasy in every single direction you can think of, right? So let's say I'm going to try on different belief systems. So I can be an atheist and I can believe that in my heart. I can believe it yep. and I can live that way for a month and I can get a lot out of it and I can see the world through that lens and I can shift my reality, which we're going to dig into as well. And then the next month I could be a born again Christian and I could read my Bible every morning and I could wholeheartedly believe this thing and I could float. Born again Christians listening to this right now are going to freak out because I'm saying this, right? <laughs> But you can pull lessons from that. You yes. can kind of try these belief systems on, see the world through that lens, which is really beautiful, this idea of apostasy. So um, I just want to get your take on that because in Rooms, Rooms for Transformation, your book, again, mm -hmm. you talk a lot about that, of how you can consciously change your reality. And in the self-help world, we see affirmations, manifestations, goal setting, intentions, all these things. And then you slip a little bit more into the spiritual side of things. And people are familiar with like tarot cards, astrology, human design, and all these different things. Mm -hmm. But it's really trying to shift your reality for some kind of beneficial change. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Your perception is what creates reality. Mm -hmm. And then you are living in a reality that reinforces that perception. So there's this nice little cyclical thing. It's like, well, of course, that's how the world works. Well, it's because you believe it works that way. Yeah, so it's going to yeah. reinforce itself. So if you challenge yourself to look at something different, you embrace cognitive dissonance. You challenge the way that you perceive things. And so you shift things. So if we go back to chaos magic, you're talking about de-identification. Yes. Meaning we come into this world thinking that's who we are because that's how I grew up and that's how the world works. So you explore all of these different traditions with belief as a tool. And that's a key thing is your belief is your tool. You really fully emphatically believe it. You get into it and then you shift. And if you can find things that are contradictory, but then you find the truth underlying that, then you are really come to terms with, with what it says in there. I believe it's Peter Carroll 
that coined the term, I am that which I am not. Mm. So you identify through all of these different practices what you are not because these things aren't resonating with you. And you find from your birth beliefs, I am not that. That's not me. And the only way that you get there is through experiencing all of these things. But by experiencing that, when you follow one paradigm and then you go to another paradigm and then you bash them together and you see what falls out and you get pick up those pieces and you smack those together and you see what falls apart, mm. you end up finding this core of truth that underlies all of that. And once you think that you have that core of truth, that foundation of how the reality is supposed to be working, then you can take another paradigm that you're completely making up and sit on top of that, that thread and see if it works as another way of testing because you now believe in that fully, which is why chaos magicians can have a religious ceremony of dressing up as a clown and going bowling. <laughs> or okay. they can call upon the Cthulhu mythos from H.P. Lovecraft, knowing fully it's fictional. Yeah. But they will go into a full belief because they're testing everything that they've practiced to see what is crap versus what's reality, what is their perception, and how do they shift their world by shifting their perception. And it really comes down to not what you believe and what you practice, but what you perceive mm. and how you know the world works, and then challenging that and embracing cognitive dissonance so you can shift that again so that the world is constantly changing around you and you realize it's never been exactly one way that just what if, what if these thousands of beliefs in the world are all 100% true and have been the entire time because it's based on the consciousness of the individuals who believe them, then that separates you to a whole different level, which is called ascension, yeah. where you can now see all of these myriad of practices and go, oh, you're all right, you're all true, and so is this, and I'm choosing to experience reality this way from a conscious choice because you were able to separate yourself to your authentic nature by exploring the diversity. Absolutely, and, and the, the flip side of that is something in my work with nutrition and fitness with clients, I always tell them self-awareness is the lead domino for all positive change. So what ends up happening is when you are uninvestigated in these things, where you are just operating from this default mode network, this is what was programmed in me, this is how I do things. Like a great example would be, um, let's say you have a woman who's like, yeah, you know, find me the alcoholic in the room and I'll date them. Like I only date alcoholics, you know, like th these kinds of belief systems. Well, that woman, anytime she walks into a wedding reception or a party or something, What's going to happen? She has that belief system programmed in herself. So she's going to find this guy that's fun and outgoing and he's got six drinks in him and they're having a great time. She's like, ooh, this guy, he's amazing. He's so cool. He seems really unique. I like him. I like the way that he is. It's a new person. So it feels like novelty. And they're like, ooh, this is this new person. He's really exciting. And then six months down the line, they're depressed because they're dating another alcoholic. What they don't realize is they're living in a comfort zone. They're stuck in that comfort zone where that was not a unique varietal experience for them. This wasn't, this wasn't new. It was the familiar. But she's stuck in the familiar without that self-awareness at all, right? Mm -hmm. Then we flip it too. If we look at like non-monogamy or open relationships or these kinds of things that people explore, they can be done in a very healthy way. Mm -hmm. But without self-awareness, you might have someone that says, you know, I just need variety. So they're just like, I, I need multiple partners. I need to sleep with a lot of partners because I need variety not realizing that like that initial spark, like I'm attracted to this person. I have butterflies. This is fun. This is great. We're going to do the thing. We're going to sleep together. We have this romantic thing. Feels like variety, different face, different body. But ultimately it's the comfort zone because that shallow of an interaction sexually, you get to stay in pure ego. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. I have power over this situation. There's no vulnerability. 
Whereas a deeper relationship might bring real vulnerability, real emotional vulnerability, not just sexual vulnerability. So this is just an example of where people really kind of fool themselves. Like they think they have variety and that I need this thing. This is the way I am. I need variety. And the world keeps bringing me alcoholics. No, 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 no. You're bringing yourself alcoholics. That's the thing. And that's really been, for me, I know we can dig into this uh, if you want to as well, but for me, it was really plant medicines that revealed that to me. Whereas like I create everything my entire external world, everything that I'm doing, if I'm convinced that every partner I ever have is going to cheat on me in a monogamous relationship, I'm going to get cheated on every goddamn time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. And people just get stuck in these patterns. So I just, I love that we're kind of untangling some of this. Absolutely. What you described is best summarized by one of my favorite authors, Carolyn Elliott. Okay. She says, having is proof of wanting. So that you look at your life and you look at the things that are in your life and you might cycle through and say, God, I can't stand this person in my life. I can't I hate that. I hate this. I hate that. All these things are just awful. But they're in your life because there's some part of your psyche that wants it. Yes. You are creating your world. And I know it's kind of a harsh thing for some people to hear that. It's like, really, my life has been brutal. It's been traumatic. These people have done these things to me and you're telling me I did it. No, that's not what I'm saying. Sure. I'm saying, look at the world around you. Because the thing I tell the guys that I work with is you may or may not be responsible for what happened to you, but you are 100% responsible for what you do with it. Yes. With what you go forward. So look around your world. How your world is, is a reflection of your inner world. If you want to change that world around you, work on changing your inner world, and then by degrees, the world outside you is mm -hmm. going to start to shift too. But it comes with knowing yourself. Like, what is it that I want? What is who I really am? Because if you're feeling that part of you that's like, God, this doesn't work for me. I don't like that. Well, connect with it. Mm -hmm. Why? What is it not working with you? Or like you were saying, I'm always dating the alcoholic. I always seem to be dating the alcoholic. Well, stop. <laughs> look at those. Now, I don't mean stop dating the alcoholic. Sure. I mean, take a stop, take a breather and actually make like a list of all of the traits of the guys that you've been dating for a while. Mm -hmm. Look at where they all overlap and what they have in common. What do they look like? What do they act like? What are some of the phrases they do? What are their behaviors? And just to challenge yourself now that you know this list of guys that you've been attracted to and going out with challenge yourself and go on a date with guys who are completely the opposite of that mm, yeah. on purpose because you're going to be breaking that programming. And yeah, you may not resonate. You may not have a good time with them. That's fine. It's only a dinner a night, one or two times out, as long as they're not going to be a jerk. And so, Hey, why are you doing yeah, that, yeah. This back toxic masculinity, but go out and challenge yourself. And then you'll find that you're going to start being able to rewrite a list of the guys you've been with and what mm. doesn't work and what does work. And then you're constantly challenging yourself by this, let's just call it apostatic challenge. Yeah. You know what worked for you or what you seem to be working with. It doesn't work for you now. Do the opposite. Yeah. Until you finally break that. This is what we mean. You take the one paradigm to the other paradigm, smash it together. Yeah. See what falls apart and then address those parts that fall apart. Yeah. So challenge yourself to do something opposite of what you've ever done. Absolutely. And it's also very courageous. We get back to courage here because what you're talking about is, I mean, think about it, man. If, if, you, if you've dated 20 alcoholics and you really don't like your dating life, you're about to sit down and examine all of your failures, your perceived failures, with a, and you're going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb, and it might be painful. And mm -hmm. I like that, too. I'd like to get just like your, you know, layman elevator pitch for Runes for Transformation, because you mentioned a couple things in, in, that, in those comments that I think are really important. You mentioned incremental change, which I think is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of, you know, if you have zero spiritual experience whatsoever, or you're like, uh, you know, or you're like a really staunch born again, Christian have been your whole life and things feel blasphemous to you. Like 
probably don't want to fly to the jungle and drink a cup of ayahuasca with a strange shaman that you just met. Like you probably don't want to do that. So yeah, I just kind of want to get your, like your elevator pitch on what you talk about in Runes for Transformation. Cause the other thing you're talking about here is what you just detailed this very intentional work and it's going to take time. And it's going to mm -hmm. take effort and you got to sit down and examine things. So how can you examine where you are now and make incremental changes? And that's, I'll let you take it from there. Sure. With Runes for Transformation, I know it sounds like it could be wacky woo-woo stuff. And sure, there's some in there. But the way I like to look at runes is that they are psychological archetypes. So that each one of the runes represents some facet of your ability to perceive the world around you. And once you understand that runes are that way, then of course we talk about what each of the runes mean. Then I teach you to apply it to the world around you. Like the rune Uruth, for example, it represents strength and the primal essence. Well, we could look at the table and say, well, the Uruz of that table is, is its ability to stand up and hold things on it. Now go back to you. What is your Uruz? What are your strengths? Sure, it could be physical capabilities, but what are your emotional strengths? What are your mental strengths? What is your Uruz? Now that you've identified those psychological archetypes, you can go look at the world around you and go, oh, well, I don't like the way this Uruz is over here or that Uruz is, but you can shift that internally. And then you can create runic mantras, runic affirmations mm -hmm. that speak to the depths of your psyche and your soul. It gets deep into the subconscious because runes are basically nonsense to the conscious mind. But you can use these as, like I said, psychological archetypes to get deep into the psyche, to hit that programming so that you can make the incremental change. And I do have a whole section in there about don't make huge change all at once because it won't last. It'll be disruptive. It'll be destructive. But you make a little change. And then you integrate that. And then you take another little change and you integrate that. And you do this step by step internally, watch a change in the world around you externally. And then you just start living in a whole different reality after a while of just being consistent with the practice. And that's the key is don't expect the magic feather that you wake up tomorrow, you wave the feather in the air, say a few magic words and everything changes. That, that's going to fall apart anyway, right? Yeah. Anybody who ever wins a lottery, most of the time they end up back being poor because yep. it's gone. But if you learn how to build money and you learn how to create money and that you are the, the generator of that money from multiple sources, mm -hmm. you don't need the lottery anymore. Yeah. And that's what this kind of work is. You're not winning the lottery. You're learning how to generate the change for yourself so yeah. that you are the sole source of change. There's also the intention and belief behind it too because if you're someone who reads Runes for Transformation and you say... I don't believe in this. I'm going to try it and prove it wrong, right? And let's say you make 30 grand a year and you go, I'm going to have $2 million in my bank account by Friday. And then it doesn't happen. And you go, see, does it, you know, that's the other thing with the incremental changes. And when I talk to people um, in just more new age, non-spiritual talk of manifestations, affirmations, and all those things, you really have to believe it. You know, like you, you have to believe that the thing that you're trying to get is achievable, in my opinion. And even if it's a little bit outside of your belief system, like maybe it's a, it's a, like it's a lofty goal and you achieve it, you're stretching yourself. And what ends up happening is that you now have beliefs that you can do more and more and more. Like maybe a million dollars in your bank account by Friday is unrealistic, but you might think that you could come up with a way to make an extra 500 bucks that week. And that happened. Then you go, whoa. And then two weeks later, you're like, maybe I'm going to make 700 bucks, you know, this kind of thing where you're stretching, stretching. But I still think the belief in the intent has to be there. Otherwise, there's some degree of self-sabotage happening. And that's where shadow work comes in place mm. because there are people who can say, I'm going to manifest $2 million this year. Yeah. And they do. Right. And then there are those people that say, I'm going to make 2 million this year. And they 
don't. So that's where we address the shadows. Like what part of your psyche doesn't want to make $2 million? Well, I want to make it. Yeah, sure. What part of you doesn't believe it? And then we go through all of this little unwinding. I mean, I still do it for myself, for my business and my growth. And I'll come across the occasional little shadow. And I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that's been holding me back. It's like, I'm afraid of the shift of identity. I'm afraid that if I make this shift that I'm be seen as abandoning my family because I'm doing the work that needs to be done. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's what's stopping me from manifesting $2 million yeah. is not the magic. It's my own shadows getting in the way saying it's not possible. It's not possible. Yeah. So the shadow work is an amazing part of manifestation and spirituality because it unwinds what you thought you couldn't do. Yeah. Well, and dude, this full circle, what did you just do as a man? Like you sat here with another man and you said, I'm afraid, I'm afraid afraid. You said three times, three mm-hmm. different things you're afraid of. This is like, wait, what? This, this super masculine guy just like admitted he's afraid. Most of the time, in my opinion, these emotions come down to fear, right? If, if I'm insecure in my relationship, it's fear. It's fear. I'm going to be left fear. I'm not going to be loved, you know, or in business, like people really have a fear of money. And that's because the same way we look at religion, we have kind of been fed this thing that like rich people are selfish assholes. And a lot of people believe that. And some of the best people I know in my life are, are some of the richest humans in the world. Like literally, like really wealthy people. I'm like, damn, this person's awesome. You know, and they're super generous and all these things. Like, but it's just what we have programmed inside of us. And it's just this constant fear, fear, fear. It's the same way if you look at chaos magic or any of these other things where like if you have a, a born again Christian and you try to tell them, like, I actually know a lot of born-again Christians because I was one, you know, and I was raised that way. And I, I, you really sit down with them alone in a room and, like, try to dig into things. And you realize that there's a lot of born-again Christians that in their entire life have never experienced a mystical experience. They've never actually felt the Holy Spirit. You know, like, they've, they've sat in church and they, they put their hands up and everybody else, ooh, everyone's hands are up. Okay, I guess, like, we're doing this thing. But they've never really felt it. And I'm like, why wouldn't you explore outside of that and try something else a little more mystical and see if you feel something? It's fear. Now, their fear is blasphemy and like Old Testament, you're going to hell when you die. But really, I feel like when we untangle most of the suppressed emotions in Western culture, usually comes back to fear, in my opinion. I don't know what you've seen. but In fact, I'm going to maybe move this in a little bit of a different direction because I'm going to touch a bit on the wacky woo-woo stuff here. Like when working with the paranormal, working with spirits, for that me, that is huge. That's been a huge part of my life. And I remember back when we could go to concerts, Mm -hmm. I was talking with a lady there about Ouija boards, and she collects Ouija boards, but she's never had a paranormal experience in her entire life, and she wanted it. Mm -hmm. And as I'm talking to her and talking to her, and I'm like realizing, yeah, you have. Yeah. It's And people are looking for the mystical experience, and I'm talking to them. And I'm like, yes, you have. It's just we have this really narrow, defined set of parameters of what a mystical experience is and what a paranormal experience is. And then if things are not matching that, you know, like we don't have that beam of light and the (laughs) smell of roses coming over us. And then all of a sudden we feel like we're transported to another world. That's so rare that that actually happens. Mm -hmm. It can happen, but it's not there. It's more like you're sitting at a green light, at an intersection. You're sitting at the red light, and then all of a sudden it turns green, and you're still sitting there. And you're like, why can't I move? Why am I not going? And all of a sudden a car just blares through the intersection. Mm, yeah. And then you go, oh, okay, great, cool. I'm going now. That was a mystical paranormal experience. Right. Something was with you saying, hey, hold up, don't go anywhere. And it's just having that moment of gratitude, or it's that, time when you said, you know, 
I haven't talked to my friend for 10 years now. I really wonder how they're doing. And then all of a sudden you get something pop up on Facebook. Mm. That's a mystical experience. You had this connection. You were probably thinking about each other at the same time. And they reached out and said, hey, what's going on? That's really what mystical and paranormal is. It's not what you see in the movies or the TV shows or what you read about in books. It's these subtle little moments, those little, that feeling of like when you're worried and you're scared and you're nervous about what's going on. And then you remember, oh yeah, I can take a breath and this is going to be okay. Yeah. That's a mystical experience just because something came in and helped you take that breath to relax. That's incredible. So subtle. I love that, man. And I was, I was at dinner last night with, um, brought on a new team member in, in Clovis, my company. I'm super excited about it. I was with him and a couple other friends and we had a plant medicine experience yesterday and we were just having dinner. So we're at this restaurant. We just had this plant medicine experience and it was beautiful. And, and we're at this restaurant together and they were explaining to me like their morning routines. They're basically saying like that they choose a song that they like to be their alarm so that their day can start off. Well, we're sitting there in the restaurant and the music over the speaker, the one kid drew looks at me and he goes, this is the song that I wake up to. This is my alarm song. And I was like, Oh wow, that's crazy. And then we started talking again. The next song in the playlist was Matt. He goes, what? they're roommates. And he goes, oh my God, this is my wake up song. One is a hip hop artist. One is a folk, like Americana group. And they happen to be back to back on this playlist after our plant medicine ceremony, sitting in a restaurant while they're telling me it's important to have an alarm clock song that you feel good about. And I mean, their faces are bright red. They're almost crying. They're just like, what? Just, what are the odds of this? It's, it's worse than the Powerball odds. You know, and we were all just sitting there absolutely stunned. And that's what you're talking about, these mystical experiences. That's exactly it. Synchronicity is one of the best mystical experiences that we have. And people miss it all the time. It's the right song at the right time. It could be as subtle as as soon as you stop your car and you're reaching to turn it off, the the song ends. Yeah. You know, things like that one. Or when you start driving, there's a song by a certain artist. And then when you're stopping, a song by that same artist is coming back on. Yeah. You know, those synchronous moments. That's a mystical experience. So people are looking for something special. That is the special. Yeah. But that what you described is super amazing because when you have a synchronicity that profound, it's telling all of you that you're doing the right thing. You're on the right path. You're headed in the right direction. That's higher self. That's a sacred force saying, this is how you know when you're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing yeah. is because these events all line up in like a weird mystical way of happening. Yeah. That's how you know. As soon as those songs, that was the first thing I said to them. I just looked at them and I went, guys, we're doing it right. Yes. Like this is what we're supposed to be doing. What we did today, like this communal plant medicine experience we had up on top of a mountain and then we're sharing a meal together and we're talking about how good life is and all the things we're going to do in 2021. It was just like radiating positivity. And then this happens and we're just like, I was like, guys, we're, we're on the right path. We're definitely on the right path. You know? That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Mystical experiences, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that search too, um, and we can dig into this now, which I'd love to get into mm-hmm. just because my personal experience is much different from yours. Like we talked about off camera. Um, but I think this is the draw to psychedelics. I really think it is, is because these, it's funny, like the more psychedelics I've done, the more of these moments I notice. Whereas prior to psychedelics, it was, I was like, coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. Like you could just write everything off, you know? So sometimes, and I'm not saying everyone has to do psychedelics, nor should everyone. There are some people with real mental things that really should do that or go to those places. I've been to some dark places in my life Mm -hmm. there, you know? So it's really important to be careful with that. But I think that's the draw. I think that people, like, like you said, they want like a ray of light 
to shine down from the earth and just tell them that all the secrets and all these things. And, and, um, the reason why I want to bring this up is because if we go back to Viking mythology and stuff, and I want to get into your experience with the whisperers, mm-hmm. but I've heard you talk a lot about like the hidden folk and land spirits and all these things that you see in the, throughout the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, even I was in Iceland and, and Iceland was really interesting because even in the little, the flower shops and like little storefronts, you can go to everything. There's like figurines of like trolls and giants and fairies. And it's just like runs rampant inside these cultures. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that, the hidden folk, and also how that plays into like this historical use of psychedelics in these cultures. Sure. Yeah. I will state for the record everywhere, we live in a paranormal world. Mm. The paranormal is completely normal. The supernatural is a part of the natural world. It just doesn't fit into these nice little boxes that we think things need to fit into, mm. but it is everywhere, and it's, it is a part of our life. And what you were talking about, we get locked into our perceptions at default mode network. We get programmed as children into that default mode network. Stop talking to imaginary friends. Yeah. Stop playing these games. <laughs> Stop doing this. And the authority figures we're around and the communities that we're in program that default mode network to say no there's no such thing as ghosts there's no such thing as fairies there's no such thing as the paranormal around us and that becomes our default mode network now the way we get out of it like you're saying psychedelics can help to subvert the default mode network Mm -hmm. through chaos magic we have finding the observer that observer that cannot be observed it's the same sort of thing And in my line of work, I teach people to go to the dark mind or to find that inner observer so that you are aware of the thoughts, you're aware of your emotions, you're aware of your beliefs, you're aware of your behaviors, but you are not a part of them. Mm. You are completely at the center of your being, separate from them. So now you have the conscious will to choose what you think, what you feel, and how you behave based on what's there or not to. And so what that is valuable to is when you're existing in a space where there might be hidden folk, where there might be spirits or things that you don't believe in whatsoever, but now you're noticing this extra feeling that's not your feeling Mm. because you can now discern, like, these are my thoughts, these are my emotions, but that's not mine. Mm. You're able to hear a thought and you're like, that's not coming from me. Where is this coming from? Who are you? And you're able to do it without fear because you have now this exploratory mind of going, what is that? And now you're able to bypass that default mode network that says this doesn't exist because now something is around you that does exist and you're able to perceive and go, wow, okay, I wasn't able to do that before. How long have you been there? I've always been here. I'm just waiting for you to listen to me. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. You've been here this whole time? So everything from garden spirits that live in your garden that help things grow to devas, which you know, there are palm trees that grow in Scotland because people are working with the nature spirits there. You know, the palm trees in blowing blizzards because they know how to work with the land spirits to your higher self. These are all a part of our world that our default mode network for most of us has been tuned out. Mm. We've been trained so that it doesn't exist, so I don't believe it's there. But when you alter your perceptibility, you're able to perceive things differently. You're like, oh, Mm. these things have been a part of our world this entire time. I can't believe I've been denying this entire aspect of life. Yeah. So it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the cliche term that people use is like, take the red pill and escape the matrix and all these things. It, it is kind of that. And, and I know with me uh, to the depths of psychedelic work that I've done is the primary message that I always get every trip is remember. So I'll have all these crazy insights and I'm like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. All these things. And it's just like, remember, 
And then every time I'm like, why do we forget? We forget. We literally forget. But we forget, and it's also programmed out of us in a very significant yeah. way. And that's the thing. It's um. So I can like I can share what happened uh, yesterday for me. I had this this plant medicine ceremony, and I did three grams of mushrooms. And I talk about this stuff openly on the podcast all the time. So um, that's enough for me to go to like this DMT dimension, right? That I've experienced many times with smoking DMT and all these things. But what ends up happening is you have people that say like fairies, giants, you know, land spirits, all these things. I can't see them, so they don't exist. And it becomes this thing where people on psychedelics will sometimes see these entities. And that's the thing is, if you've ever done, anyone who's ever done like a blast, off, what we'd call a blast off dose of DMT, you end up in a different dimension and you end up communicating with entities that you can see with your eyes and they're communicating with you telepathically. And it's the ultimate mind fuck because you, you're just like, what is happening here? And it becomes this thing where, where people will think that like, that was your, your own mind. So, and that's, that's why I want to share what happened with me yesterday. So I've been exploring, um, the, a book called The Raw Contact, which is the law of one and all this stuff, people channeling and learning from these ancient, basically ancient gods, if you want to call them that, or extraterrestrials in some way. And um, so I kind of like chaos magic. I just decided like, I believe in Ra. That's the thing. I'm going to go talk to him. So I took some plant medicine and I walk into this space and I was like, what's up? I'm here. I have questions for you. Give me some answers. And they did. The next thing I know, I'm like furiously journaling. I'm just like journaling, 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 all these things that I learned and it would be easy for somebody to just say like, well, that was all in your own mind. That was your own mind. These were your, your thoughts. But when you're in that moment, man, you're just like, I've never thought these thoughts before. I don't speak this way. I'm literally writing in a way that does not sound like this Justin, the, the human vibration that we have that is Justin. It feels very different. And I'm taking these downloads away that are just staggering. And that's, so that's kind of a segue because I know you've had teachers your whole life mm -hmm. that, that have really been coming through you since you were a child. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about that story, particularly what happened with you as a kid with like advanced mathematics. Like, I mean, like really <laughs> crazy stuff that I'm like, I don't know how people can turn a blind eye to this or just write it off. So I'll let you share your story. Sure. In fact, I'm going to push back and say, yes, it is in your mind. It okay. always has been in your mind. It's always your mind, but we need to re-understand what the mind means. Mm. When we say it's all in your head, it's all in your mind, we think we're making it up and it's just a complete fabrication of the imagination. Well, the, the imagination is a huge part of it. Yes. Because the information that you are receiving comes externally. Yes. And you'll be able to, with work, you'll be able to identify where that information is coming from and that it is external, but you receive it in a neutral state. It's like just basic information. It's a universal language, a true universal language. And as it comes into your brain, it has to go into the pattern buffer that can assign information to it that you understand like words and shapes and images in ways that you understand it. So then you can now be a conduit for that to come through. So yes, the, the words you're writing were not in your standard form of writing, mm -hmm. but the fact that it was English and that it was writing means it was using those patterns inside your brain mm -hmm. to create that information as it's processing through you. And it will use archetypes and symbols that are familiar to you because that is what the patterns are in your own imagination buffer to create that information in a meaningful way into this mm. reality, but it is coming to you in a neutral way that you have to interpret. So the imagination is always a key part of it. This is what I'll teach in seance classes is maybe a person is a visual learner and another person's an audible learner. The visual learner is like, wow, I see this fuzzy blue light. That's kind of like growing bigger and smaller. It's just kind of pulsating. And the other person is like, no, you're crazy. There's like this fuzzy, tone that is just wobbling well 
they're receiving the exact same information. Mm. They're just interpreting it with their own imagination pattern buffer in a way that's re relevant and meaningful to them. Mm. And so, like you were saying, for my whole life, I've had whispers since childhood. And one of the cool things about them is they were never, ever demanding. They never had a sense of urgency. It was always like, hey, why don't you learn this thing or look at that thing or what do you think about this thing? And I'm a jerk about it. I'm like, no, this is stupid. This is me making stuff up, man. I'm just, you know, nah, pulling this out of my butt. And they're like, eh, whatever, fine. Okay. And then life goes on and they're like, hey, take a look at this thing. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll look at this thing, whatever. I'm like, oh, that matches what I was being told earlier. And I'm like, yeah, you think? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm kind of a slow learner on that because <laughs> knowing that it's the imagination that gets in the way, I'm always testing, is this just me making stuff up or am I really getting valid information? And one of those things that came through was as junior high, I'm writing down pages and pages of infinite mathematics using a linear scale for defining how the mathematics works at the infinite scale about how infinite with a terminus, like one point, and then it extends on forever or infinite with neither terminus. And it just goes on forever. Or you work at the asymptote when you get to that minuscule point of the asymptote where the curve reaches the axis, but never quite touches. And I'm writing down that and then how it expands out into cubes and spheres and different sort of, I didn't get to toroids at that point, but I could have, and my mom's looking at this going, you know, I'm going to take you to my old college professor or tutor when I was in college to see what he thinks of it. And I showed him my paperwork and he starts shaking his head. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just writing this stuff down. And he's like, this is the work of Bertrand Russell in his book, Principia Mathematica. He said it has the same name as Isaac Newton when he wrote Principia Mathematica, and it's considered to be one of the most unintelligible books on mathematics because he's defining infinity on these linear scales like you're doing. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, I, nothing came <laughs> of it, but it was just a skill-building exercise, right? I haven't done anything with infinite mathematics since then, sure. but it was just that skill of learning how to listen to the whisper, how to be that conduit of information to write it down and then finding validation. That's the key part, finding validation in the external world because that's how you know you get relevant information is if you get that impression, you get that download, you get that information and then you can take it and run with it and say, yes, I am the next coming of Jesus because I have this information. It's great. Yes, yes, I know I'm now the new prophet of the world and maybe, maybe, I don't know. Or you could be, getting this stuff and it's complete nonsense because you're making it up. The only way you'll know is you take that information and you test it, you validate it, you apply it in the world. And if it has meaningful results, that's great. I was talking to somebody the other day online who thought I needed to put my, my lineage and my heritage in my listing of capabilities and my training. And I'm like, why? That's really not important. He's like, because people will see that you're working with the Norse stuff. And if they don't know that you come from a Norse background, they think that you're, you know, making this up or that you're some sort of a charlatan. And I'm like, I really don't care if somebody has a system that they just pulled out of nowhere mm. or if somebody is following something that has been generations long. Results matter. Yeah. If the results come through, that's what matters most. And I know what I do gets results for people because I've seen it over and over. When I get downloads from the whisperers, I instantly think it's crap. And then I go test it. Mm -hmm. And when I see the results that come out of it, I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. cool. This yeah. is worthwhile. And I have thrown away bullshit that I realized it was just me making up and saying, hey, this is great. My ego's in the way. Let's make this thing happen. And then it's like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So always test and validate everything. Yeah, there's, there's a good tidbit of information in there too because it's like uh, lately I've been exploring uh, the idea of Tantra and tantric energy work and things like this, sexual, non-sexual. People hear Tantra and they just go to sex. But like, yeah, the tantric energy work, it's like that's originated with, with Indian culture. I'm not from India. You know, you get in this weird place where it's like almost this like cultural appropriation thing where you're like, okay, like I'm Eastern European, so I should probably be a Christian. Like I have to do the thing. And it's, it's you again, you get back to just really challenging those belief systems and moving out of these different paradigms or trying something like chaos magic or something like that. Or like we talked about off camera too, like I got these direct downloads from what I believe to be these raw entities that I've been experiencing through audiobooks and things like that. And I asked them questions and they gave me step-by-step instructions because my whole thing was, I want to achieve a new level of resonance. Like I want to, I want to vibrate at a higher frequency. We all know energy is everything. Mm-hmm. Physics teaches us this, right? I want to vibrate at a higher energy all the time. And I've been exploring a lot of psychedelics. Me and my partner have been exploring a lot of Tantra, like uh, just dabbling, but not somewhat kind of connecting the two. And it was basically like, okay, what we talked about today that I think is really beneficial for listeners too, is it's like, you have to do the, the divine masculine feminine dance. We have to fully trust each other. We have to connect in a way that is deeply emotional so it can't be my masculine grabbing at her body parts like because right. that's what the masculine does. I need to start with her heart and then work outward from there. Then we get comfortable. Then we might be able to explore psychedelics together and see what that looks like and get some downloads on, okay, here are the places you can go to. But like we talked about, psychedelics have a biological cost. There is no biological free lunch. We can't just do psychedelics all day, every day and want to operate at a higher frequency. So trust first. Psychedelics expose what is possible. And then through this energy tantra work again, we might be able to get to a place where we can actually experience that higher frequency and resonance in our normal sober waking state. And that's a badass goal to have. So now I'm like, thanks for the download. I'm going to go do this. This sounds great. And and I want to see what happens. I'm super excited about it. That's awesome. Step-by-step, moment-by-moment, incremental change. Yeah. You know, instead of just diving right in, because diving right in to the depths can blow trust. Absolutely. But you build the depths step-by-step by doing the dance, by connecting, disconnecting, reconnecting, mm-hmm. opening. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to get there. Yeah, yeah, it feels really beautiful. And it's something I want to talk to you about too is, I heard you say this on Aubrey's podcast, I think you were saying, like we are somewhat limited by our Western scientific understanding of basically quantum physics, right? It kind of leaves a lot to be desired. And a thought experiment that I just want to share with my listeners that, that I, I don't, remember how I came up with this, actually. I don't know if it was a download or what <laughs> happened, right? So I don't know who gave this to me. Thank you, universe. Um, but I was explaining the idea of, oh, I remember. I do remember. Yeah, I was on acid. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely on acid with my current romantic partner. Yeah. So um, I had this idea. I just looked at her and I said, think of a time when you didn't know me. And it kind of like fractal shattered my brain of like, time is not linear. I get it now. Like, I get it. I understand time is not linear. And basically, if I go through this thought experiment with you for the listeners, I can say, Kadrick, think of a time that you did not know me. And on initially hearing that, you think, oh, that's easy. I didn't know you yesterday, right? But you technically cannot do that. It's a physical impossibility for you on a biological level. Because even if you pretend right now through the lens of your mind at your age as this person today, you say, I'm going to imagine I'm five years old definitely didn't know Justin when I was five years old. So I'm going to go back and think about it. You can pretend you're that five-year-old. You might even see, this is my room. I'm playing with my action figures. This is my thing. But your mind still knows Justin. It's your mind from today as a five-year-old, and it's through the filter of, you know, you've met Justin Nolt. You've been in the same room. You know this guy. Therefore, you know me 
forever and have known me forever. Correct. And it becomes this really circular thing and you go, whoa. And every time I say that to people, they just, I mean, you get it. I could tell you get it. You're just like, oh, dude, this is like child's play for me. But, <laughs> but I think it's a helpful example, you know? Yep. Time is not linear. And I can give you several examples of how to explore that. And that is a great one because your consciousness, let's think of it this way. What if your consciousness of existence as Justin, as any listener here, is a spectrum? Like we talked about the gender spectrum. What if your existence of consciousness is a spectrum that needs to be unwound into a linear concept by the brain that is occupying that consciousness? Of course. Now, when that consciousness steps outside of the brain, it now no longer lives in a linear time frame. It now exists all the way around. So it knew Justin, always knows Justin, always will know Justin. Then he gets back into the brain and the brain's like, well, I can always remember these times. Sure, mm -hmm. fine. But now your consciousness is there. Project a future. What about somebody that you don't know? And this is some of the work I do with people is let's go to your future self, the part of you living your ideal life in the ideal way. And instead of necessarily finding out what you're doing or how you're doing it, find out what your strengths and values are what is really important to you. Mm -hmm. And they'll start living those today because that suddenly creates that life you were living there. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of kind of reversing it. Like go to your future self. Now here's another mind blower. What was your life like before you were born? <laughs> that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. So what was it like before I knew Justin? What was it like before I even existed in this body? Now when you contemplate and you put that in your meditative repertoire so you were contemplating what was life before i existed that also helps to defy to defer off of that default mode network because your default mode network's built off of who you think you are now mm -hmm. but now you get to that time before it ever existed and you're like whoa and then you're really tapping into that spectrum of consciousness Absolutely. that does not know linear time at yeah. all yeah, this is interesting too. And a lot of things get written off as woo-woo, like, you know, going to see an Akashic reader who gives you your Akashic records of like, you've lived this many lifetimes, you've been a man, you've been a woman, you've done all these things, you know, a lot of people will do that kind of work, but it's really interesting. I actually really, I, I love the way that you handle all this stuff because you are tapping into source in a very serious way. Like you're not relying on plant medicines or you're not relying on an Akashic reader or something like that. It's coming from the internal you. Like you're literally just sitting with yourself doing the introspective work. And there's so many gems in this that I hope people just grab. Like, like what you just said, is just living your future self as now, that ideal future version of you. And this is where you get into things like the secret and manifestations and all that. And they've kind of crumbled and fall apart because what's happening there is, is it's again, it's like the, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to do chaos magic. I'm going to do sigil magic and I'm going to have a million dollars in my bank account, but I don't really believe that. It's the same way that people would see the secret documentary and they say like, okay, like I'm going to make a vision board. I'm going to do all this stuff and then I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to watch TV all day and I'm not going to act on it at all. So they're not actually living, again, with the energetic resonance of that future version of themselves. And I think that's the important thing. And that's why for me personally, I've been tackling this energetic resonance so much of just how can I, how can I vibrate at a, at a higher frequency and keep that energy with me because that's what I want for my life because things become more positive in that. So it really is the practice of projecting that in your current state of being, you know? That's exactly it. The, the mantra for that is you become by being. Mm. So when you're looking at what, that, what it means to be in that higher vibration state, that higher state of resonance, what are the strengths and the values that correlate to that? Mm. And then when you can define those strengths and values 
then you could start living those strengths and values. So you were being that. Mm. And by being that, you suddenly become that. Yeah. Just, you don't have to have a goal. Yeah. It's, and that's where I think a lot of the secret and the law of attraction fail is people will set a goal. Fine. Fine and dandy to have a goal, but their mind, their shadow part of themselves is saying, well, I'm not going to be happy until I get this. Mm. My life is just going to suck until this happens. You're telling yourself right now, I don't have that. And because I don't have that, my life sucks and I'm not happy. Mm. But if you can look past the goal, who are you in that life with that goal? And you define those standards and values of who you are in that life. That is something you can have right here, right now. That is something that will give you fulfillment right here, right now. Yeah. Instead of actually getting that car, that house, that yeah, job, yeah. you are now fulfilling the standards of that life. And then just that external world becomes a reflection of the internal world. And it just happens. Yeah, You don't have to chase it. It just happens. Absolutely. It's so beautiful, man. I'm doing a lot of coaching now for people on a, a, a term that I call uh, becoming recession proof. Like you said, like having multiple streams of income that way, if COVID hits and the world collapses, like maybe one income stream dial is turned down, but your e-commerce dial can be turned up, you know, like how to like mm -hmm. really kind of fail safe against these things. And something that I come across over and over and over is just people that have been, you know, nine to five workers for their whole lives. And they're like, I'm like, oh, you hate your job. You should quit your job. And they're like, oh yeah, well, there's this other job. It's like, almost the same company. It's the same job, but it pays a dollar more an hour. And they're like, I'm going to go over here. I'm like, no, you, you said you hate your job. You need to take like an exponential leap out of this lane. But they do this thing where the belief system is, um, you know, Justin is an e-commerce entrepreneur and he makes money online. That's for him. That's not for me. And it becomes this thing of they're, they're stuck in. And I love the concept that, and the, the word that you brought up from chaos magic is de-identifying, like de-identification right? Like break down this wall of this identity that you think you have. I am Susie and I'm 45 years old and I'm a stay at home mom. And there's no way I could start a business. I don't know how to do that. You're trapped. That's Completely right. trapped. You know, it's That's, crazy. This is exactly it. And what you were describing about the nine to five, going to another nine to five, that's the same job. It's the exact same skill set that applies to the woman dating the alcoholic. Yes. You define what those parameters are of what you think your reality is. And then break that through an apostatic challenge. Yeah. Do something completely different, something out of the ordinary and see that it still works. Yep. Uh, and that you're not going to die. And that you're not going <laughs> to die. <laughs> That's the big exactly. Trick the lizard brain. Like, we'll just really <laughs> show the lizard brain, give it evidence. But man, this is, this is just, I don't, I'm so happy about this conversation. Like, I love it. And what I want to do is like, I feel like we've gone, we've dipped into the real woo-woo, we've dipped into psychedelics, the spiritual, the real world stuff, affirmations, all this. So I kind of just want to tackle, like, if we can wrap, wrap it up in a, in a practical way, and again, going back to, like, Viking gods and goddesses, if you want to, taking a look at archetypes, things like that, um, how you break down these beneficial stories. I've, I've heard you talk a lot about entrepreneurship and some of the coaching you do of really at the, at, the, at the lowest level, I guess, like the introductory level. How is it that you tell people, like, starting today, if you could come up with three things you could do to really start to see these incremental changes in your life? And maybe it is, like, when you're locking up the house at night, you picture Odin or whatever archetype or things like that. I want you to kind of just give some practical tips that, that we can wrap up with. Yeah, that's exactly what you were describing there is Thor is a guardian. He's a protector. And yes, he is very brutal, very aggressive and hostile, but that's his nature. However, he's blessing and protecting. And so when you're going around the house, making sure the doors are locked, the alarm is set, everything is set and secure. That is a sacred action to Thor that you're protecting and you're keeping your home and your family safe. 
when you're off learning to create business better, when you're trying to learn more things and you're able to teach what you're learning, when you have this whole cycle of information and leadership and creation and planning, that in itself is a sacred action to Odin. Because Odin is all about higher learning and about leading and teaching. So he's not just the big leader, but he's always learning. So he's helpful for learning all of that stuff. And again, Frere. Frere is masculine virility, a potency, but he's not violent and aggressive. He can be vulnerable. He can be receptive. And because he has that vulnerable and that receptive quality to him, he is also the initiator of that abundance and that growth and that fertility, but he needs the soil to plant that in. He needs the fertile resources. So you may have your idea. You may have your spark of inspiration. Where's the reception of that? Who is your audience? What are your resources you can call upon for doing that one? And with that, there's one of my favorite concepts out of the Norse tradition, the concept of might and main. Okay? And it's a great alliterative term that kind of loses concepts here in the U.S. because it sounds, oh, might, and you know, might makes right. It's not what that it's about. Mm -hmm. Your might is your influence upon the world. The people who listen to you, the authority that you can project, and the things that you can do with what you've got is your might. That's your influence. Your main is your affluence. What are the resources that you can tap into? What is your audience? What is your capital? What are your strengths, your innate talents that you've got? Those are all your main. And what is the highest resonant form of your main that you can tap into so that you can give your highest resonant form of your might? And look at this, even as the left side, your receptive side, your right side is your projective side. So your left side is your main. What is it that you can tap into? What are your resources, your skills, your talents at the highest level? And then how do you project them out through your might, through your influence mm. at the highest level? It, it, it's a contemplative exercise that I will always tell all of my clients and everybody I work with, if I give you an answer, I'm wrong. Yeah. If I help you ask better questions, then we're on the right path. So this exploration of might and main is not an answer. It's the means of giving you the ability to ask better questions. Mm. Yeah, this is a really great bridge too, because if we really look at it like, um, if we look at Western culture and we say there's a lot of escapism, we said suppression, escapism, a big part of that escapism is entertainment. It is the last kingdom. It is Vikings and all these things. And there are sure, I'm sure there are plenty of teenage guys right now watching Vikings and looking at Ragnar Lothbrook and saying like, I want to be like that guy. This is amazing, right? So let's bridge the gap. Be like that guy. Start thinking that you are like, if you like that he's a warrior, you like that he's really intellectual and it was on a search for really answers through Christianity and his own religious beliefs and paganism and all that, like be that guy. So let's bridge that gap. If we take somebody that doesn't have a lot of spiritual um, you know, a history with spirituality or any practice in that, then let's combine entertainment. So really look at it as like, you could study some of these gods. You could study Odin. You could study Frigg, all of these people, and really look at it and say, okay, I'm going to act. Like if you can't picture your future self and project it in that way, if, you, if, if you're Jane and you can't picture Jane as like a, a mighty goddess, then just act like Frigg. Right. You know what I mean? Just go through your life and act like Frigg. And it's, I really like that you're, you're bringing this up because it's almost like a, it's like a step one for people where it's, it, it's, it can be really hard for people to get there for some of these esoteric things that they really don't understand that they don't have experience with. So yeah, if the listeners can take anything away from this, it's like, why not play pretend? The same way when you're a little kid, you might pretend that you're an X-Men. 
You know, like just pretend that you're one of these gods or goddesses and step into that role and see if things change. Exactly. Define the parameters of the archetype that you want to become and live that one. Yeah. And here, this is going to blow your mind, and I hope you appreciate this. Ragnar Lothbrok uh-huh. was likely never a real person ever. I, I kind of imagine that that was right. yeah, probably the case. It was a made-up archetype. Yeah. It was a great story to tell because this, this culture loved telling stories. But it was such a prominent, proud culture for what they had that there are people that would say, well, I'm a descendant of Ragnar Lothbrok, and that's my right to rule. Wow. And then they got written into the history. And then somebody would come along and say, I'm a descendant of Ragnar Lothbrok. And they became a prominent leader because of that one. And then they got written into the history. And that's where you get characters like Ivar the Boneless. Yeah. And some of these other characters that are on that Viking show, these were real people. There are documents to show that they were real, that claimed lineage to Ragnar Lothbrok, mm. who was never real. But that's he so served as that archetype to emulate and be like to define the parameters of their life. Yeah. Well, and that too, I mean, we didn't even dig into this really, but like, the, I, I didn't know until I listened to you on other podcasts, just talking about like how the days of our weeks are named. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, you're really taking, these people are like, these these gods and goddesses, these archetypes are just woven into everyday culture and we just have no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Monday's the day of the moon. Tuesday is Tears Day. Wednesday is Woden's Day. Odin's yeah. Day. Thor's Day. For Thursday. Uh-huh. And Freya, like we talked about Freya and Freya. Yeah. That's Friday. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, man. And that's the thing is that that's when you understand too, like if that's the case, right? Why wouldn't we, co- why wouldn't we challenge our current belief system? That's what I love. It's like the people that, are, that have these such strongly held beliefs of these ancient religions are like, nope, mine is the one. Mine is the one true one and that's it. And everything else is nonsense. Where what you just said with Ivor the Boneless being a, a, a real person, but claiming lineage to Ragnar Lothbrok, that's literally just like perception paints reality. It's exactly what you just said. It's like that people just believe, okay, this is the guy. He's of that lineage. Okay, must be real. And boom, and life goes on through that lens. So it's like you don't have to be trapped in that, though. You can literally challenge anything and everything at all times. All the time. To, to this day, my belief system is always under my own scrutiny. Mm. And I open that to the scrutiny of other people, too. Yeah. Because I need to continue to change, to evolve, to grow. And that doesn't happen without embracing cognitive dissonance. Mm. This isn't true. Of course it's not true. Well, how do I know? Yeah. Let's believe it for a while and see if it isn't true. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Man, this has been a great conversation. So I want to I wanna let people know where they can find you, if they can get in touch with you. And it sounds like you do some coaching. Um, I know that you have a, a course that you're working on right now. So like, table, the, the floor is yours right now. Anything you want to share, just like throw it at people, man. Right on. Yeah, I've got kdrick.com. Okay. It's K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I'm all over there. Uh, I am building out a shadow program. Maybe by the time this goes up, it should be there. This is the shadows that I'm working on. It's getting that released. Yeah. Is I'm doing some inner work. I'm like, here are the last little details. Get, oh, yeah. And these last little things, like, cut it out. Just take imperfect action and just do it. So the shadow program is coming up soon. It'll be a six-week or 12-week option where we can get really deep into the, the shadows, knowing that the psyche creates the shadows, but your soul has the light to dispel those shadows. So it is a spiritual process, your own spirituality, not me telling you how to do it. It is connecting to your own spirituality to dispel those shadows. Uh, but I got various rune programs. Uh, I've got one about life switch, about how to go to your future self and find your strengths and values through your future self. And then you come back and you flip on the switch what that ideal life is like and we do it mentally emotionally experientially so we get all into that one 
and there's lots and lots of stuff coming. I probably shouldn't say this out loud. Why not? I've got nine online courses that are outlined that I'm just going to be cramming and building out. Some of it's wacky woo-woo stuff, and some of it is practical, real-world, feet on the ground. Here's how you apply it. So there's lots coming. Just stay tuned. Go to kdrick.com, and you'll be in the loop on all that stuff. Dude. I'm definitely staying in the loop. I want to do the shadow work. I want to do all of it for myself. I'm like, I'm going to do that. So maybe I'll end up taking your courses and I'll do like a Facebook Live and report back to people on how they went or something. But beautiful. Sounds awesome, man. Congratulations. I wish you nothing but the best and, and tremendous success in this. And thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot to me. Thank you. I'm really appreciative to be here. This has been great. And I look forward to it more. All right, man. Until next time. Take care, man. All right, everybody, you made it all the way through. Remember, we always want your feedback. We want to know how you're feeling after listening to conversations like this one. So hit me at justin at imclovis.com. Hit us up in the Facebook groups. The Clovis Academy is free for you to join. Facebook.com slash groups slash Clovis Academy. And of course, I'll put all of this in the show notes. You can go to imclobus.com slash podcast to check out all of our show notes. And again, don't forget, I am giving you 20% off your first purchase at imclobus.com. Head to imclobus.com, use promo code PERFECTPODCAST, all one word, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. And I'll see you back here for the next episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.